Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help you get unstuck so you can do what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner-Khan. If you're a really good keynote speaker, you might book one keynote a week. So maybe you're on stage in seven years, kind of 300 to 400 hours, whereas a stand-up comedian in that time would be on stage more in the two to 6,000 hour range. Today on episode 586 of Smashing the Plateau, I'm here with the director of Funny Biz, David Nihill. I'm going to ask David what consultants and coaches can learn from stand-up comedians and much more. Stay with us to hear all the details. You can find out more about David along with all of our previous episodes at smashingtheplateau.com. Are you building your own business after a long career as an employed professional? Listen to our show, Going Solo, also found on our website, smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome David Nihill, best-selling author, TED-featured speaker, award-winning comedian and storyteller, and one of the best speaking coaches out there, according to Forbes. David, welcome to the show. Thank you. How's it going? It's going great. How are you doing today? I'm emotionally stable. Thank you very much. When you say, let's welcome David, I had to hold myself emotionally, not to say, oh, it's me. And then you read me bio and said he's one of the best speaking coaches. And I'm like, I nearly screwed up speaking already there. Um, So let's cut to the chase. You know, following a late career job loss, high achieving professionals often start their own consulting or coaching business. It's one of the easiest going from employee to entrepreneur is never easy. But if you're staying in the same discipline and using your expertise to try to continue to make a living as an entrepreneur, it can be a much easier transition than going to a whole new field. Now, that being said, while these folks may have lots of experience using the skills that have provided great results for the people they served as employees, and perhaps they're going to be able to provide great results for their new clients as consultants or coaches, they still face a lot of new challenges as business owners. You know, in the work that you do, what have you seen are some of the key skills that consultants and coaches need to develop or learn in order to be successful in their new business? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously a ton, but there's one that grabs me more than most that I see quite a lot. And it's nearly an error or a framing judgment is how you approach it. But somebody from a business background who ends up consulting a lot of time within that business background, especially if they clocked up a number of years, they will have done a lot. They'll have done a lot of public speaking or a lot of presentation skills. They'll have given a ton of presentations. So they're like, oh, I've got public speaking down. So now that I have to go out and tell my story as a coach, I'm having to tell my origin story, the transition, my experience background. I think they forget that they're in front of a very different audience, an audience that needs to be sold to, but doesn't want to feel like they're being sold to. And an audience that doesn't appreciate when you basically give them a LinkedIn resume list of things that qualify you to speak like sometimes you would do at the start of a presentation. They over-rely on, on slides and PowerPoint. And they, I think they just mistakenly assumed, oh, I did all these presentations. I'm good at public speaking. And they don't take the time to really analyze the actual story that they're telling, the words they're using, the techniques they're doing, and the little things that can trip you up because they're assuming I'm good at this. 
When the reality is you're out there boring the pants off people. You just don't have enough people in your circle to give you the reality feedback to go, nah, like I, I don't, I can't let you loose on my audience. And a big part of being a consultant and going on your own route is to get yourself out in front of people and tell your story, whether it's on social media or whether it's at conferences or virtual speaking events. And I just think they assume they're good at something and they overlook the tactics at it and say, you know, what, I'm good at this. I don't need to break down and analyze what I've been doing for years because I have this element of experience. But in reality, they haven't actually clocked up much time in front of an audience of people who really need to believe in your mission and are willing to pay you to get help. Yeah. What are some clues that they may not have experience giving the right kinds of presentations to the right audience? Yeah. Number one, number of slides, uh, reliance on PowerPoint. Like if you're out there using PowerPoint at the moment, especially in this virtual world, you're using technology that was released in the same year as the movie Tree Men and a Baby, Good Morning and Vietnam and Beverly Hills Cup 2, 1987. You're probably a little bit outdated. You really need to be using either Prezi Video or mm-hmm, which is probably the worst product name to say ever, but is one of the best products out there to help you with this. It's by Phil Lieben, the guy who invented Evernote, which most people will have had on their, their smart devices at some stage. But they're really the only two things to give you a full version of picture-in-picture picture video when you're presenting at the moment. So the, the first key giveaway is you're using PowerPoint. The second key giveaway is you have way too many slides and way too many words on the slides. The third key giveaway is you're starting with a list of things that qualify yourself to speak and why people should believe in you, whereas they just want to kind of get to know you. And it's it's a very overlooked element of public speaking that your talk or presentation starts before you actually start speaking. It starts with your introduction. And you should go out of your way in any way, shape or form to outsource that to somebody anybody who can qualify you to speak on the topic and say your qualifications so that you don't have to self-qualify because that feels salesly when an audience wants to be inspired in some way, shape or form. So always write your introduction, just like you did on this podcast today, that the fact that you say some things where we're like, oh, this guy probably knows what he's talking about. Hopefully the introduction establishes that. So I don't have to say, well, I wrote a book and it was very successful. Then everyone's like, oh, I don't like him. It's very self-promotional or it's very whatever it is. But a lot of speakers make that mistake when they transition to business to being an independent as a consultant that they still feel like they need to qualify why they're there. Whereas the audience assumes they must be good if they're there. And the host, it's the job of anyone you can get in the room, anyone to email in advance of the meeting, anyone that happens to be a stand-in host, anyone you could request to introduce you that day to say, hey, here's my bio my introduction, please read that. I've only written, I've only listed three key things. Nobody wants to hear about every role that doesn't seem relevant that I had about this talk that I'm going to give today. And magically, we're only going to say my name once and it's going to be the last words you say. And that's going to maximize my chance of getting a round of applause from the audience because they're socially conditioned to applaud when they hear someone's name said only once and they can't applaud when they're holding their smart devices or typing. So it maximizes your chances of success. So there are a couple of things that I'm like, do those and you're going to get off to a great start. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's really important. And um, you're probably the first person who has said this on this show. And I think this is um, well over 500 episodes that um, that we've released, including many people who have talked about speaking. 
Well, here's a, a thank you for the kind words of pointing that out. And I, I will say, if you go on Clubhouse app at the moment, or you pay attention to the amount of sales that sell themselves and experts in public speaking, it's scary. And most of them, the background comes from either doing it at a work level or just going on LinkedIn one night when they had half a bottle of wine and said, you know what, I'm going to become a keynote speaker. Let's go. Let me just add those words to my job title here. And magically, the next day it says keynote speaker on their bio and they're off to the races. And if you're a really good keynote speaker, you might book one keynote a week. So maybe you're on stage in seven years, kind of 300 to 400 hours, whereas a stand-up comedian in that time would be on stage more in the two to 6,000 hour range. So my argument when I read the book was you're not a master of public speaking if you're a keynote speaker because you're simply not clocking up the hours. Comedians are the world's true masters of public speaking. What can we learn from them that the business community has overlooked because they don't turn to comedians as a source of wisdom, even though most people are very familiar with the concept of 10,000 hours equal mastery. And to get back to your point there, Anyone listening, if they go to a comedy club, they're very familiar with the host coming out and say, ladies and gentlemen, our next comedian's been on Spotify. Number one, he's number one on iTunes. He's been touring around with Bill Burr's Netflix special just came out. Please make it loud for, and your mind just goes, who is it? And when they say the name, now you naturally applause because it creates that excitement level. And you'll be able to count on one hand the amount of conferences you attend in your lifetime where the host actually does that. But you will never, ever encounter it in a comedy club, someone doing the opposite. So you're like, well, why aren't these two worlds talking to each other in any way, shape or form? Or what can one learn from the other? And that's a big rookie mistake in the world of speaking, not outsourcing your introduction. And good podcasting, you know that, and that's why you do it today. But you have business speakers, they just miss it. So I'd say it's a very key one, and it just gets you off on a, on a good footing. Yeah, the other thing about, about working in a comedy club, there's a very big difference between the expected reaction from an audience in a comedy club versus what you might get in a keynote speech. Absolutely. But at the same time, both audiences love entertainment. Both of them have paid for some element of entertainment and inspiration, and they want you to evoke a certain set of feelings and emotion. Does the comedy club, they're more evil. They're just sitting there. They're like, I've had a horrible day today. I've just drank two shots and had some cheese nachos I didn't plan on doing. My diet's out the window. I feel terrible. You there, entertain me now. And again, every 15 seconds. Exactly. There's, exactly. there's nothing like that pressure. And if, if you've never watched the movie of Jerry Seinfeld going out and trying to create a new hour of comedy, even his celebrity existence and fan base was not enough to get him through not doing well for a couple of minutes. They were like, that's it. We love Jerry. Yeah. And they were like, we don't like you anymore. What's he saying? This is not funny. So it's, it's just weird. It's most people in the realm of public speaking in business trace their experience back to Toastmasters, which is a very supportive public speaking organization that's basically is great for clocking up time in front of audiences. But it does audience, it's kind of like losing your virginity to someone who's allowed to score you between eight and ten. It's not reality. You're like, how good was I in bed? Oh, you were an eight. I mean, that was definitely an eight. I know you're 17 and you've no experience and you didn't know, but it, it was definitely an eight. And that's the difference with a comedy club. They really let you know. And I think a business audience just doesn't let you know. Too many times presenters are willing to accept an audience of people just face down, staring at their devices. And they're like, oh, these people are all bored. Terrible audience. And you're like, no, you just 
didn't make them do something to put their devices down. And even if you just asked them for a round of applause, ladies and gentlemen, this has been a long day. We've had some fantastic organizers here. This this day is the accumulation of a lot of hard work. Can we give them a round of applause? And you're just, you can't clap with stuff in your hands. So automatically the room is focused on you and you have a chance to recover the worst room of bored people you've ever seen. But I think this time on stage in a setting that isn't comedy or performance orientated, you, you really don't learn that. And people don't point it out to you because the other people realistically don't have a huge amount of experience either. Keynote speakers or anyone speaking a lot simply doesn't clock up enough time to declare themselves an expert on this topic. And I'm not an expert either, but I've just put, I just come at it from a different angle. I hate it. I had to learn all these things to get through it. And then I just kept doing comedy in other realms where I wasn't comfortable. And I met people way smarter than me. I mean, my background is business. I worked for the Irish uh, Fund for the Irish government. I worked for PricewaterhouseCoopers and mergers and acquisitions. I did all these jobs, which are very corporate And nobody ever told me any of this stuff. And it would have helped my life dramatically because I ate it so spectacularly in so many business presentations that I simply wouldn't have done had I known techniques. So it didn't matter where my hands went. It didn't matter my breathing. It didn't matter my body language. And nobody wants to tell you that because they're making a living off telling you the opposite. Right. So given your own experience, David, and and your expertise now, what's the best way to get the right kind of experience if you're a new consultant or coach, given the fact that getting up and speaking in front of people is really critical to your success? Yeah, or or even doing it virtually. So depending on on what state of the world we are in, but I mean, virtual is here to stay and it it gives you a way of of talking to audiences a lot easier than it was to get yourself at a conference. So I think you have a number of things that can practice refining your message a little bit. I think sometimes consultants make the mistake that they're going to tell the one story to one group and then next week, oh, I need to do something different. And I think you just treat it like a comedian a little bit. You have certain stories that you're willing to tell repeatedly until you get better at telling them in fewer words. You know where all the reaction points are and you're smart enough to know that I need to make all these reaction points, the last words and sentences, just like your introduction. So it allows the audience to react and take every opportunity you have to get in front of people, whether it's joining a member organization like the one I mentioned, Toastmasters. If you like, it's a good starting point, but it's not reality once you've gone to a few of them. The best ones are professional membership groups within your area, the school or university you went to, somewhere you could go back and give a talk and teach people some things you learned. Normally, if someone's making the jump to being a consultant, they have a large body of work behind them and someone they can go back to in their past and say, hey, do you have anyone coming in talking to you about this? And be willing to do that for free, especially if you can get high quality video of it. Um, and be very sensitive to the rights you give away when you agree to speak somewhere. So as a speaker, one of the biggest mistakes you can make is not put in an agreement that a clause or a request for you to be able to review any video before it's released on any platforms. Because just like a comedian doing a set for the first time, they would never want that on the internet. They want the polished slick version that makes them look very good. And a lot of people are so desperate for attention when they when they switch or so desperate for clients right? Because you're trying to get enough people to survive for that first or second year when you make the switch from full-time corporate to consultant. You're willing to do anything promotion and publicity-wise or speaking-wise. Just be conscious that you need to request and have the ability to say you can't release that 
unless you make certain changes. You need to make sure that video content looks good because it's going to live on. And at some point you might not want it there, but you won't have the rights to it. So every conference organizer is usually very happy when you say, you know, it could for quality, just to, to keep an eye on it, to make sure there's no mistakes, to make sure all the PowerPoint slides are in the right place, which hopefully you're not using. Hopefully it's Prezi video slides are in the right place. But can I have final say on that? And to be honest, that that will save your life a lot of the time in the world of speaking because it takes all the pressure off because you're like, you know what? I have last say on this. I'm going to try that story. And if it doesn't land with these people and it's on video, no pressure anymore. We can just cut it out. And when I, when I went to do a TEDx talk, which ended up then on TED.com, I goofed around with the audience for two and a half minutes at the start, knowing I could ask for that to be cut out. But that meant that it got off to a very conversational start. I could tell them I was nervous. We could all get a few laughs out of the thing. And then there was a moment where we just cut and that all disappeared like it never happened. But the audience were already kind of warmed up and, and we knew each other. So they were able to, it, it took a lot of pressure off me. I'm like, this can disappear later. So I'd say that that's a key one. Right. What else? Well, you mean as to get on stage or what else can they change? Yeah, like how to build the presentation muscle the right way. Yeah, well, I look, I did comedy and that's a very extreme one, whereas you might want to delve in the world of improv a bit before you tried stand-up comedy, which is a different beast. You could, there's a lot of storytelling events all around the U.S. right now. Um, depending on where you are in the world, they're, they're everywhere in the world. But in the U.S., they're extremely common. Do You can find a storytelling event like The Moth, which you can listen to the podcast of that online, or Snap Judgment, which is a more produced version, which is a great podcast to listen to, to spark some memories. Listen to those two podcasts, then try and find a Moth show that you can go along to. And you say, AJ Jacobs is one of my favorite writers. And if you look online long enough, he was the guy who wrote The Year of Living Biblically, where he took it so seriously that he followed the rules of the Bible for a year and even went out throwing stones at adulterers in Central Park. Uh, he doesn't mess around, but he's a fantastic speaker. But if you look online, you'll find him telling a story at the Mott Storytelling Competition and then a year or two later as part of a TED Talk. So he's tested that content on a live representative audience of the group he wants to target. And I would suggest doing the same. I did the Mott a lot. I end up hosting it. Uh, their story nights were great. You have a, a pretty high chance. You put your name in a hat, and you have a very high chance of getting called. But the audience don't know you, so they're very cold to you, and they want some element of entertainment. But they're very supportive. And a bit like my reference to Toastmasters earlier, I think they are only allowed to score you between 6 and 10. But they do publicly score you in front of the room. So it can be slightly intimidating, but a very friendly audience. And they're my favorite starting points. But I wouldn't go near any of those places until you've created, either on your computer, but even better on your smartphone, a list and call it Funny Story File or Stories I Love. There's another guy that has a twist on this that I like. He calls it Homework for Life. Your homework is at the end of every day to take five minutes and just write something that you enjoyed that day, brought a smile to your face or something you remembered. So a lot of times, if I ask you to tell me a funny thing that happened to you now ever, you're not going to remember off the top of your head. But if you make an, a list of this, you're building a list of content that you can delve into all the time. And accomplished speakers, comedians, top content creators, the advantage they have over you is they have a list packed with stuff and ideas. It's a bit like a diary, only it's happy. Like a lot of people as a child will have kept a diary and they read back to it and they're like, oh, I was really sad. Nobody called me. I ate cake. I feel horrible. What a Tuesday that was. Nobody wants to relive that thought. <laughs> but imagine you have a lonely night somewhere at home and you're like, oh, life sucks. Let me just scroll through my phone. And you just have a whole list of things called funny story file. And it's just bullet points to jog your memory as to every fun or funny thing that's happened to you in life. 
And that is what you should incorporate into all your talks. Every, Especially if you think, I have, I have nothing funny or fun. If it's embarrassing for you, it's funny for me, guaranteed. Now you just lead to link that to a business lesson. And the one thing, if you analyze all the world's leading speakers and TED Talks, for example, Ken Robinson is the most viral and viewed and popular TED Talk of all time. His talk is a collection of short personal stories that nobody else could replicate because they're so personal to him. And every one of them, he's tying extremely loosely to a business lesson. Sometimes they have nothing to do with it whatsoever. And you can do that in any public speaking setting just by going, I told you that story because, and forcing yourself to complete that sentence to make the link between the short, funny story you just told. Every one of us has at least four or five stories in life that our friends are like, oh, I haven't seen you in ages. Tell that story again. Every time we see them at Christmas or something, or every time we have a, a school reunion, they're like, oh, you got to tell them that story. They're the key stories you need to build into your talk, and that's what will make you a much better speaker. But it won't happen unless you actively keep a list, ideally on a smartphone, because you're going to forget. If you say, I'll write that down when I get home tonight, you won't. Yeah, David, are there any differences in what you should do in terms of learning these techniques for speaking and presenting, depending upon whether you want to have paid speaking as part of your revenue model or whether you're building a consulting or coaching business where you you have other revenue and you're not interested in paid speaking revenue yeah i think paid speaking revenue is a funny one because you might not set out to get it but once you get some you're like i need more of that and um, because it, <laughs> it tends to be well compensated uh, it tends to open up some pretty interesting opportunities i remember speaking for summit which are a kind of prestigious group of speakers and i met some epic people at their event and i spoke in a yurt at the top of a mountain in utah and i just come off a wakeboarding boat with some random guy i met there and i was like this and and because of that event i ended up at breakfast with larry king a couple of weeks later and i was like what am i even doing here like how did any of this stuff happen and it was just for me telling a story in a room that didn't it probably had 15 people in there so i would say to people number one when you're looking and we spoke already about looking for opportunities to speak don't rule out anything as useless i gave a talk one night to set the worst talk i've ever done was at a library where i did a book launch and it was me a homeless guy and a kid that came in just to have a cookie in the middle of the talk took the cookie and left and I was still expected to give it because the book publisher was there. And the night before, I did a sold out one for 300 people at NASDAQ. So there can be a lot of up and downs, but you never know what comes out of it. And the more came out of the talk I gave to nobody because the book and the book distributor was there and the guy took a shine to the book and it, it, we got on well. And he ended up writing a spectacular review of it that created more things than the, the sold out audience did. Same happened with another talk I did to nine people. There just happened to be a columnist there from Inc. Magazine and it ended up opening an opportunity for me to become a columnist for Inc. Magazine. I'm dyslexic. I can barely even write. I've no idea how it happened. So don't rule out anything too small, number one. But all those things help you potentially whether you want it or not to get paid speaking work, it's not going to be paid at the start. But once you get some money for it, it's going to be hard to turn down future opportunities if they're good. The really cool ones tend not to pay. The ones you don't want to do tend to pay. So it's a bit of a trade-off. But I would say there's no harm in setting up a page and it doesn't have to be public, especially when you're getting started on your website. Most likely you or your company's website. 
most likely you or your company's domain that you have control of. And you don't have to make it public, but just add a domain, whatever it is, speaking or whatever it is. You know, if it's David Nihil, I just added David Nihil speaking. I don't make that public, but if anyone reaches out to me or I do cold outreach to an event I'd like to be part of, I send them that link and everything on there is on there. Your bio, your image, in an ideal world, high quality video that can be hidden if you don't want to make it public. But within that link, it's available for people to see. Set yourself up for the opportunities to land them, even if you don't really want them, because it's much more fun to say no to 20 grand for speaking for five minutes uh, than it is to try and convince someone to give you that opportunity. So I'd say whether you want to publicize it yet or not, build out a web page somewhere as a, as a subdomain. Don't have to, don't put any pressure on yourself to lift it publicly and just say, well, who's a great speaker that I admire who looks to be doing well in this area? How can I copy that and replicate it, list a couple of talks, and how can I make it easy for someone to land on my page and go, oh, this person's professional. It's not a matter of can I, do I want them? It's a matter of I need them. I hope they're available as opposed to how much did it cost? Yeah, that, that's really great advice. David, we've covered so many great strategies in a relatively short amount of time. If somebody wants to go deeper with anything that you've shared today or we've discussed, access any resources you have, where would the best place be for them to go? Yeah, uh, thanks for asking. I'd say davidnihill.com, which is N-I-H-I-L-L. -L. I have nearly everything listed on there. And probably the most useful thing I have is a, a course called Hacking Public Speaking, where I I'd never seen anyone do this before. If there's anyone, a big part of people who tend to go down the consulting road or digital products or expertise, usually most people will create a course or consider it at some stage in life. And the completion rates for courses are scary low. Like, I mean, at one stage I had 16,000 students and only 7% of them had actually completed a course. And I was like, well, am I really bad? Is the Irish accent scaring the life out of people? What happened here? So I looked into it and it turned out everybody else nearly had that right. So with this course, I did something that your listeners are very welcome to copy. I don't know where I got the idea from, but I haven't seen anyone else do it. I give people 50% of their money back for course completion within 30 days. So that might not be a bad one if you want more races, but worst case scenario, it's not a bad idea to steal because it changed completion rates to over 80% all of a sudden. And at the end of the day, if you're a consultant or you have some knowledge to sell or share, you want people to actually be able to take it in, complete it, and action it. Otherwise, you don't generate half the leads. I'd love that tip. Oh, thanks a million. Yeah, I couldn't believe I hadn't seen anyone do it. And I was like, I, I really get excited when someone emails me and goes, hey, I finished the course. And they're all kind of proud. Now, give me my money. And I'm like, oh, thank you very much. Give me a review. So it becomes quite a nice trade-off where you get lots of reviews and you give them their money back. And it's, it's a nice win-win feeling for both parties. That is brilliant. David, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Smashing the Plateau and share a whole wealth of insights. My guest has been the director of Funny Biz, David Nihel. Thank you again, David, for joining us. Yeah, thanks for listening to my lunacy. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mention on the show. Today we learned what consultants and coaches can learn from stand-up comedians and much more. Please share this episode with friends and colleagues to help them smash the plateau. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.